Hello, Fellowship. I have some great news for you. We are just about a year away from opening the new Bentonville campus, and we've just crossed the $15 million mark toward reaching the goal of developing this new campus and paying for it by December of 2022. We're not paying any interest on this project because of your generosity at this point. Thank you. And in this light, thank you for faithfulness in giving each week during COVID and your extraordinary generosity to the gift. Through the gift, we were able to donate generously to ministries locally, regionally, and globally. Today, we have three new elder candidates to present to you. We're a church led by elders, and our current board has prayerfully sought the face of God as we considered all nominees presented. Please meet your new elder candidates. Hello, Fellowship. My name is Ed Parrish, and my wife is Guanaco Parrish. We've been married for 36 years, and we have three children and three grandchildren. We've lived in Northwest Arkansas now for 21 years, and I remember upon our arrival how Fellowship embraced us, and we made this our church home. I'm honored to be nominated as a candidate for elder, and it would be such a pleasure to uh, serve you here at Fellowship in that capacity. Hello, Fellowship. My name is Joe Ross. I've been married to my wonderful wife, uh, Catherine Ross, for 42 years. We have four children, uh, all grown now, and seven grandchildren. I grew up in Northeast Arkansas, but we've been in Fayetteville for the past 30 years. I worked as a radiation oncologist and took care of cancer patients at both Narti and Highlands Oncology until I retired three years ago. I'm honored and humbled both uh, by this nomination uh, to become an elder, and I look forward to serving both you and Christ in this endeavor, if elected. Hello, my name is Jim Ants. I've been married to my wonderful wife, Margaret, for 36 years. We have two adult sons, Jimmy and John, and one beautiful nine-month-old granddaughter, Anna Lee. We've lived in Springdale for the past 34 years, and for all of that time, I've worked at Harps Food Stores, first in IT, and then in finance. We've been attending fellowship for the past 27 years. I am deeply humbled and honored to be nominated as a candidate for the Elton Board. With God's help, I will do my best to serve you in that capacity. Thank you for your consideration and may God bless you. Thank you gentlemen for your willingness to be set forth as candidates for the Office of Elder. It is a tremendous responsibility to be an elder at fellowship and your willingness to be considered speaks highly of your character, integrity, and walk with Christ. And now we have one more thing to ask of you, Fellowship. If you are a member of our church, between now and February 22nd, please affirm these candidates by visiting the link below and follow the instructions found there. Thank you for your prayers and for participating in the elder nomination process. This is an important reoccurring event in the life of our church family. God bless you all. Well, hey, Mosaic, it's good to be with you tonight. Uh, as we hear about the elders, I wanted to put in front of you uh, two things that you've heard about in the last two weekends, two things that uh, by the elders' directive, they've said, we want to put these things in front of you uh, for you guys to walk obediently in. And the first of those things was uh, a directive that they put in front of us about a year ago. They said, start praying about how to love and serve into the margins of Northwest Arkansas. And God has just blown that door wide open. And, uh, and so Matt Newman uh, and Scott Page, Matt in the south and Scott in the north, are leaving Mosaic to go and lead the Samaritan in Springdale and the Samaritan Rogers. And we are just thrilled. If there's ever a like, well, no duh kind of announcement, it's been, it's been that announcement when it's been made in front of the staff. We're just like, of course, yes, please, what can we do to get behind them? And so uh, we're just excited about them as they step into that new area of leadership. And the elders have, uh, in, in response to that, as they've looked at, at the Mosaic body, they've said, we love this church and we want to uh, purposely put in 
place a, a team to lead into the future of that. And so as they're developing this leadership team, uh, we wanted to invite you uh, to join us. There's there's mostly questions right now, and, and we're looking to the one that has all capacity and is not surprised and can answer every single one of them. And so would you join us in praying faithfully for this church, for God to, to raise up the appropriate leadership and, and, and for that to take shape? And so uh, I wanted to put those two things uh, in front of you. One concrete way that, that you can have an avenue into uh, asking some questions is this Wednesday night. It was supposed to be next week, so if you've penciled it in your calendar, change that. It's actually a week early now. This Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8, uh, our creating space is, is on Facebook Live. Uh, you'll be able to ask any question you need uh, about, about the transition. We'll do the best we can to answer as many as we can. Um, and so that, that is the first big initiative that the elders have put in front of us. Uh, the second one is the, the return of all the children's ministry services back, back to campus. And so I'm excited. Uh, we've missed y'all. I've heard from a lot of you that you've missed it. And so we're excited to have those opportunities offering back, uh, opening back up. I want to throw a few things out to you about that, though. Um, if, if COVID has unveiled something about uh, the nature of ministry, it really is that the home is, is vital above every other thing. This, this is a, a good, good thing, and we love to be together, but it's, all, it's really so much about what happens at home. And so we want to do everything that we have in our capacity to use all of the resources we can and use all of the services that we can for the purpose of equipping our parents uh, in discipleship in the home. And so uh, what that looks like is, is uh, as I think about families, uh, I was kind of talking to the team this week. And, and so we were talking about people that we know that have been using some of the resources we've put out. Uh, people like the Burns family. I know uh, they're probably at home at this point watching. Hi, guys. Uh, they've been home quarantined, but they've been watching all on Sunday mornings uh, with their little ones, and I think that's a cool deal. Uh, we got families like the Ormans and the Sweetsers and the Sellers that have been faithfully picking up the, the packets and, and doing the small group or the, the early childhood curriculum with their kids. That's a pretty cool thing. Uh, I know the Barons actually helped shoot a bunch of the video curriculum this summer for uh, the, the elementary and early childhood online services. So uh, just families looking for opportunities to jump in, draw their families in. Uh, I, I know that the sellers and the barons actually have said, we know that there's need in the classroom. We're going to jump in and fill some of that need at return. And so uh, thanks to, I see y'all over there. Hi, guys. Thanks for doing that. Appreciate you guys. Um, a couple of uh, things to keep in mind, though, as we, as we anticipate or plan for the return. Um, Obviously, CDC restrictions are changing the way things need to be done, and uh, we are adjusting accordingly. It's going to be uh, masks and temp checks and those kind of things, but it also means smaller uh, capacities in every classroom, which means uh, we need more leaders to look after less kids. And so if you have any desire to see the next generation of kids raised up faithfully, uh, to love the Lord, to love being a part of this church, uh, to be a part of his big church, then uh, seek an opportunity with us. We, we have plenty of places uh, we'd love to help raise you up or teach you the things you need to know or want to know. Or if you feel inadequate, uh, don't. We, we want you to, to be equipped to lead well. Um, and uh, another thing is that we will only have uh, children's classrooms open at the 5 o'clock hour. So if you uh, typically come at 6.45, which I don't think is any of y'all, uh, potentially some at home watching our normal 6.45ers, uh, we will only have kids' classrooms open at 5 o'clock. So uh, that's a thing to note as well. And then uh, finally, um, again, uh, just if you are ever at a point of confusion or uncertainty, you don't know what's going on in the life or uh, of this church, a great thing to do is to make sure you're in the loop on news and things like that. So the, the news page, mosaicnwa.org slash news, is going to have all that you need for things like elder confirmations, things like uh, videos, kind of walking through the check-in process in weeks to come for uh, kids' services. All, all that you would might maybe need to know is there. Um, and then the last thing, if you are a, uh, a detail person, if you're kind of a person that scans things, you've noticed this hideous half trombone on stage. Uh, we are starting uh, the, 
the big march around Jericho story tonight. And so there's never a time for a youth guy to make a lot of noise on stage and it to be maybe like slightly allowable. It's this night. So I just want to blow it real loud and y'all can plug yours if you don't like it. And if you want to make a lot of noise with me, by all means, but I hope that it maybe startles you a little bit, get your blood pumping and we can stand up and, and worship together. So y'all ready? Let's do this thing. Well, good evening, family. Hey, online, if you're, you're checking in, go ahead and let us know in the comment section you're here. Go ahead and stand with us tonight if you wouldn't mind. And this next song comes right out of Numbers. And it's simply meant to be a blessing to the people of God. So if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and just acknowledge maybe who's around you, who's behind you, who's in front of you, beside you. And sing this over them. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and Let's sing that over our brothers and sisters in Christ in this room tonight. Sing it out, church. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you.
Jesus, we ask that you give us that peace tonight. Lord, the peace that you alone can provide. And we come into this place and ask that you would do what only you can do in our hearts. It's in your name. We pray and ask and seek.
family, you're welcome to take a seat. And uh, part of the reason we gather in this place is to experience the empowering presence of Jesus, but it's also to, to gather together. And what we love to do tonight is uh, something the church has been doing for centuries and praying together. And so I would ask, um, there's, there's a lot of needs in this room. Um, some of us, our marriage has been tough. Um, some of us, singleness is getting old. Um, some of us are so excited for our kids to go back to school. <laughs> some of us are feeling isolated. And so what we'd love to do in this space is, can we just pray for one another? However you feel led, would you bow your head and close your eyes and would you just pray over your brothers and sisters? Maybe you have specific needs you know or maybe you don't and you know that God does, but let's just create some space to go to the throne for one another together. Take your time. Father, we're so grateful for another evening to gather together, both online and in this place. And Lord, we lift up these things to you, knowing that you are in complete um, sovereign rule over every single aspect of our lives. And even as we see in, with Joshua and Jericho tonight, would you help us trust you in this season more and be reminded that this is your world while we eagerly await your return. Till then we cling to this song.
Father God, you do reign over all things. Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness towards us when we are not faithful to you. And God, I pray for every heart in this room that is struggling or hurting or in pain. And I just pray that you would bring your healing the way only you can do. Give us an awareness of your presence that is around us and working in each of us. We love you. Amen. Amen. So I was 15 years old, and I had just transferred to a new school. And uh, I came from the kind of small, preppy private school to the really big public school. And, uh, and was instantly not, not appreciated. My presence was not welcome in this new school I found my way into. And I, uh, I wanted to play football there. And so I, at this, the, the small preppy school, they played kind of, you know, fancy football. And the school I came to was football that was like just smash mouth in the dirt, beat you up kind of football. And again, I was an outsider. And, and as a 15-year-old sophomore, I was 5 foot 10, 150 pounds, which is not very big to play smash mouth in the dirt kind of football. And so I found myself for the, the entire fall in this new school feeling just unwelcome and very much awkwardly on the outside. But the nice thing was I was second team behind a really great football player who was awesome and he was one of the rocks of the team. And so I got to spend a really fun season learning and sitting on the sidelines and watching him and, and learning the game, learning the school's program and everything. And, uh, and it was really great. Until the semifinals of the playoffs. Getting ready for the state championship. It was an intense game. Uh, we were playing the only team that had beaten us that season. And so now we got a second shot at them. And the winner of this game would go on to the state championship. And so I'm doing what I do sitting on the sidelines, watching the big boys play, having a great game. And it was, a, it was a tight game, back and forth the whole way through. And it was becoming clear that this game would come down possibly to the last play. I mean, this is the stuff of high school football dreams. And then early in the fourth quarter, something happened that I didn't expect. Jake, that guy that I backed up, dropped to the ground, writhing in pain. Play stops. Trainers run out on the field to check on him. And all the coaches' eyes are on Jake, but I'm doing the math. And I turn and look, and the star athlete, like the legend of town, the one everybody knew, he does the math too. And he looks over at me. I don't think he knew my name. But he starts walking toward me. And he has to like bend over to talk to me. And he gets like nose to nose with me. And I'm preparing, like this is gonna be one of those rousing, like motivating camaraderie sports moments, right? And he gets in my face and he says, I have been preparing for this my entire life. If you blow this for me, I will slit your throat. <laughs> I've never been more scared in my life. And I looked to the rest of the team and no one came to my rescue. Have you ever felt like the world suddenly got dropped on your shoulders? Like everybody was looking to you to carry something that was way too big for you to carry? Hey, I still feel those feelings. I feel that as a dad when I look at my daughter, this person I love, and I'm like, I do not want to mess this human up. Like, I, I really want to do a good job. And I feel a weight of responsibility that's too big for me. Like, how do you make a healthy human? I feel it every single time I prepare to tell someone who doesn't know Jesus about my faith. Like, oh my goodness, eternity is riding on this conversation. Like, if I don't explain it right, or if I say something offensive, or if I don't have the answer to the question, like, it is on me to like save this person. And I feel that same weight come back to me again. My guess is everyone in this room feels it somewhere. 
Maybe it's in your place of work. Maybe it's just making the finances work each month, but you feel that moment when all of it presses on you. Tonight, as we continue in Joshua, we're gonna get a look at what happens when the weight of an entire nation's hopes and dreams falls on one man. One man to lead them to experience the promise they've been looking for for literally hundreds of years and find out how in the world do you step out and lead in that situation. So let me pray and we'll jump into Joshua chapter six. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Um, Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that you give us guidance um, and that we have the stories of your faithfulness uh, so that you can increase our faith in you. And I pray that you'll do that tonight. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I've been told before that people don't like it when I leave stories hanging like that. I think it's more dramatic that way um, because the ending is so much less interesting. What happened was I went in for three plays while they take Jake up and they send him back in. And that was it. I, I ran my three plays and then Jake came back in and led him to victory and it was a great game. So the setup is much better than the actual story. So, but I didn't want you distracted, be distracted by that story the whole time instead of what we're talking about. So there you go, everything worked out. Hey, we're gonna be in Joshua chapter five, uh, starting in verse 13. We're gonna pick up the very end of chapter five to get us into chapter six. And, and to, to bring you up to speed to where we are in the story of Joshua at this point. Uh, God had, had called this special people Israel And he had given them a promise that he would bless their family, that he would give them great descendants so that one family would become an entire nation. And that he would give them this land to be set apart to follow him, to make his name known so that they could bless all the nations around them. They had spent hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt, but he had brought them out of slavery and was now preparing to take them in to the land of Canaan, this promised land. But the problem is, there's a group of people who do not honor the Lord in that land. In fact, they commit their lives to worshiping other gods. And so there's a conflict brewing as God's taking them into this land. And and last week we heard about how God parted, stopped the Jordan River to show him working for them and bring them across. And then they had to pause to take a memorial, to take stock of what had happened, to recognize and remember the faithfulness of their God before they went into battle. But now all the river crossing is over, the memorial stones, the Passover feast, the ritual circumcision, it's all been done, and now it's time to fight. Now, these Israelite soldiers are not soldiers, right? Their parents were in the construction business in Egypt. They built stuff for Pharaoh. And the generation that's now gonna be soldiers, their entire life they had been professional campers. Their greatest level of experience was setting up a tent and taking a tent down. They didn't even know how to find food for themselves. God had dropped bread out of heaven for them. Like think about their survival skills. They literally walked outside the morning and picked the bread up off the floor and took it into their tent. They have no training for war and here they are facing down a military outpost in Canaan, and they're told they're going to go take it. And everyone is looking to Joshua. Joshua's the leader who's going to take them in. And so when we come to chapter 5 at the end here, we're going to find that Joshua is going to go out by himself and just look out over Jericho. What do you think's in his mind in that moment? as he stands there and looks over this walled city that he's supposed to lead the nation to victory over. Was he excited? Was there anticipation? Was he insecure? Like what is going through his mind as he's measuring himself as a leader and everything he has to, like does he have a battle plan? Does he have any strategy for how they're gonna take this city? Well, take a look at what happens as Joshua goes for his private reflective moment looking out over the city. Joshua chapter five, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, try to put yourself in Joshua's shoes. There's no any indication that there's anything special about this man. He, He just walks out and suddenly a man walks up to him with a sword drawn. 
like probably the first thought is this is a scout from Jericho. Like he's probably ready. He might have to go into armed combat right here and now. He's ready to have a quiet reflective moment. Instead, he meets a soldier. So he asked a very reasonable question. Joshua went up to him and asked, look at the courage. He just walks right up. He says, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Have you heard that phrase, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy? Have you heard that phrase before? It was the exact same command that Moses received when the Lord spoke out of the burning bush. Everything at the beginning of this story in Joshua is preparing us, setting the stage for Joshua to repeat the kind of experiences Moses had, to show us that Joshua is the the heir to to Moses' leadership responsibilities. And now Joshua is having his burning bush moment, his moment where he goes off alone and meets with the Lord. And did you hear how this figure identified himself? The commander of the Lord's army. Do you understand what just got, what happened? Joshua just got relieved of duty. He went out alone as the commander of the army, the weight of the world on his shoulders, and God showed up and surprisingly told him exactly what he needed to hear. That is way above your pay grade, Joshua. You're not the commander of my army. This doesn't rest on you. And this is Joshua's incredible moment of faith and leadership. It was not his brilliant strategy. It was not his brilliant courage. It was that when he met the Lord, he bowed down and said, what do you command? He recognized Yahweh's lordship over the situation. He realized the battle he was walking into was not his in the first place. Now, when I first read that phrase, that when, when the commander of the Lord's army says, I'm not for you or your enemies, neither, at first that struck me as, wait, does that mean God didn't care about Israel? The rest of the story will clearly say that's not true. God absolutely cares about Israel. What is he saying? He is shifting Joshua's entire perspective. He's saying, Joshua, I am not here to bless your plans. I am not here to fight your battle for you. This is my battle. This is my initiative. And the question for Joshua and for all of Israel is, are they going to get on the Lord's plan? Are they going to submit to what he's up to? This is a paradigm shift for the the rest of the story. These are not a people with a mission to accomplish that they are asking God to bless. This is a God with a mission and a purpose that he is inviting the people to be a part of. And that changes everything. So Joshua bows down before the commander of the Lord's army. He says, tell me what to do. I'm yours. So we get a little background information in in chapter 6, verse 1. We're told the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one, or no one went out and no one came in. So this is, this is ancient battle technique when you're trying to protect a city. You put up a big wall, you build a wall to secure the city and you lock it tight. You hunker down with enough provisions and you hope that the desert will defeat the army coming to attack you. You have the hope that you hope that you will outlast the people out there. So as an army, you have a few options. One, you can try to break down the wall, and if the wall is well built, that's going to be a very difficult task. Two, you can try to scale the wall and go over. 
Three, you can try to tunnel and go under. Or the fourth option, and often the most common, is you can try to siege the city, which means you surround it, and you hope that you have enough resources to last longer than the city does, that you will starve them out until they give up. Those are the four great military options that Joshua has in front of him. Destroy the wall, go over the wall, go under the wall, or starve them out. So I have to imagine as Joshua, he's waiting to hear what is the strategy? What are we gonna do? And this is what the Lord tells him. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Now I have to imagine at Joshua at this point, I'm looking at the city and going, I, I don't see. I do not see a city delivered into our hands. But then God goes on to explain, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns, thank you, Matt Natzel, in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So what is God's plan? Is it for the people to go pound on the wall and break it, go over it, under, starve them out? None of them. He rejects all the traditional strategies for how the soldiers are gonna take this city. And in fact, the soldiers get sent back and they bring a surprising group to the front line. Who do they bring up? The priests. They bring the priests with this object, the Ark of the Covenant, that's featured so much in the book of Joshua. It's literally like a wooden box that's overlaid with gold, has two angels carved above it. And this box is meant to be a representation of God's throne, of the footstool of God, where his presence rests with his people. And so what is this ceremony they're doing where they go circle the city with the priests blowing trumpets and worshiping God around the city. By the way, I was trying to dig in and understand how big Jericho was. Like I'm trying to picture this march and I'm absolutely horrible with spatial dimensions at all. Jericho was about 10 acres in size, much smaller than the metropolis I picture. So I was trying to get my sense on how big is 10 acres. So there's a field out to the west of the parking lot over here that is eight acres. Okay, that little strip of land right over there is eight acres. That's about the size of Jericho, okay? So you can picture people doing a little march around that field, right? That, that's, not a, that's not a huge feat. But when they send the priests in, they are supposed to march and circle the city, worshiping Yahweh, and then go back to camp. Can you imagine what's going on in Jericho's mind at this point? I mean, they're all terrified because they hear about this God that crushed Egypt and now he's come to Jericho. And they see the army come out. They approach the city and they get ready. They walk around the city one time and then they leave. They don't set up a siege. They just march around and leave. And they get up and they do the same thing the next day. And the same thing the day after that. You know what starts going through your mind when people behave that way? What do they know that I don't? I was playing a card game with a friend of mine recently, and it's one of those games where you collect characters and different attacks and stuff, and, and we get going in the game, and, and I keep attacking him, and he's not attacking me back. And turn after turn, this happens, and I'm just slowly chipping away at him, and I'm getting, the more I attack him, the more I damage him, the more scared I get. Because I'm still learning this game, and I'm like, something has to be going badly for me. And then on the sixth turn, he declares an attack and ends me in one turn. He had just been building up his forces so he could take me out in one turn. I have to imagine that's what's going through Jericho in this mind, like in the mind in this moment. What do these guys know that we don't know? You see, this, this ceremony of six days of preparation and then on the seventh day, God's gonna do something was not a new idea. Do you think where else in the Bible up to this point we've seen six days of preparation and then something great on the seventh? This goes all the way back to Genesis 1, doesn't it? Six days, the God's, God is at work making the earth. 
And then on the seventh day, a day of rest and worship. When Moses went up on the mountain in Exodus, six days he sat before the presence of the Lord waiting. And on the seventh day, God called his name and said, come. Later on, we're gonna read, we'll see in, the, in Joshua, or Solomon's story, that when he dedicated the temple, there were seven days of dedication before they celebrated the dwelling of the Lord in the temple. What does all this tell us? This is a dedication of Jericho to the Lord. Every single day they went out and marched, they were saying, this city is Yahweh's. This city is Yahweh's. This city is Yahweh's. And what did it tell the people of Israel? The message to them was more important than the message was to Jericho. They're terrified for their first battle even though Jericho's quaking in their boots, the Israelites had to be just as scared. I don't care how big you are when you're walking into a battle like this and you're you know, used to picking up bread dropped off for you in the morning on the ground. You're scared. But every single day was a reminder. Yahweh's gonna fight this battle. The only defense, the main defense that Jericho has is this big, beautiful wall that's gonna keep them safe. And so we read what happens, Joshua goes and tells the people in verse six, take the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. Then he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Why hold off on the war cry? You see, trumpets had two purposes. One was to announce a battle. The other was to announce the coming of the Lord. A trumpet blasted on Sinai before God showed up and spoke to them. A trumpet will announce the return of our Lord when he comes back. So I think Joshua's making a distinction here. Don't cry for battle. That's not what these trumpets are for. These trumpets are announcing the coming of the Lord on Jericho. These trumpets are our worship band. The battle cry comes after. So they circle the city and then on the seventh day, they circle it seven times. You've probably heard the story. They give the shout and the walls come down. And then what happens? The people have to go in and do their job. The people have to go in and commit what the Lord had told them to do. Look at verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, the sound of the trumpet. And when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Every bit of it is handed over to the Lord. What lesson is this moment teaching Israel at the beginning of their conquest? You see, before this moment, before the beginning of these battles, think, think about what happened in Egypt. How many Egyptian soldiers did the Israelites have to fight to rescue themselves out of slavery? Zero. Not a single one. They weren't asked to lift a finger to defeat Egypt. And it was a beautiful season in their life. They saw signs in the heavens. They saw fire coming down. They saw a pillar of cloud, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. But God is transitioning them into a new season of life where he's wanting them to get involved, to begin to fight the battle. But there's a danger that could happen. They could imagine that the weight was now on them to win their battles, that it was now up to them to accomplish God's plans. And so in a very strategic way, God accomplishes the move that crushes the enemy before he lets Israel take the field so that they will learn that no matter how things appear, it is always the Lord who fights for them. It is the Lord who fights the battle and they get to participate. 
Now, what does this mean for us? If we're trying to take cues from what God's doing here, if we assume that it is true that what God has done in the past for Israel is a pattern and promise for what he's gonna do in our lives, what does this tell us? Ultimately, I think it tells us that there are, there are two ditches we could fall into when it comes to following the Lord and what he's doing. Two extremes that do not lead to experiencing the blessing of God working in our lives. One would be the ditch of thinking it's all on us. It's up to our strength, our creativity, and if we fail, God fails. I carry the weight of the world. I gotta go out there and get this done. But there's another ditch. The other ditch says I'm gonna sit back and watch what God does. I'm just gonna live and let God Hands up, let's just see what God does. You see, the problem with this ditch over here is it ignores that God's actually given you a command. It's not trusting God to ignore his commands. Say, I have so much faith in God that I don't need to go out and tell people about Jesus. To say, I don't need to take responsibility for my life because God's gonna take responsibility. Rather, what we're gonna see over and over in the book of Joshua is this really difficult place that he asks us to be of putting all of our trust in him to accomplish it and yet still getting out there and getting involved. Can I tell you a different football story? The year before, I was a ninth grader and um, the school that I was in had a, had a practice. They, at the end of the season, they pulled the ninth graders up to get to go to the varsity games. We got to dress out and see what it was like to be with the varsity so we got to go to the playoffs and be a part of the team and all the fun and all that. And, uh, and so we're, you know, 14-year-olds, just like those, those seniors were like superheroes to us. And we got to the state championship game, and they blew them out in the first half. I mean, the seniors just wiped the floor with them. And in the second half, we're up by like 30 or 40 points or something, and coach just starts grabbing ninth graders and throwing them onto the field. So literally, I'm just standing there all excited. We're going to win. And coach just reaches over and grabs me and says, it's on a kickoff. And he goes, Roland, get in there. And I, I don't know where I am. Like, I'm just running out of the field like, where do I stand? And they like point. And I'm just like, I'm just going to run. And so I run full speed and collide into someone and fall down and come off the field, jumping up and down, really excited about myself. And at the end of the day, guess what? I got to put my hand on that trophy. I got to get a state championship ring. I got to participate fully in that state championship. And how much did I contribute to that victory? Nothing. Nothing. I didn't win that game. Other people won that game. What would have been forfeited if I had stayed on the sidelines? My experience of the victory. I would not have gotten to have the joy of getting in on what those guys earned. Guys, God does not need us to accomplish his kingdom work. He, he's he's kind of big and strong and in charge. The kingdom of God does not ride on, rest on you. But what he does do is invite us to be a part of the awesome thing he's doing. He invites us to step in to what he's after. Now, that kind of confidence will transform the way you live. It's not the kind of confidence that runs ahead arrogantly, stubbornly insisting that you've got this, but it's also not the kind of fear that stays on the sidelines, scared to make a mistake. It's the kind of person that says, wow, if God guarantees a victory, then I want to be on his team. I want to do things his way. Next week, we're gonna to get to see the consequences of somebody playing on God's team, not doing it God's way. If Joshua chapter six is a lot of fun, Joshua chapter seven is terrifying. So come back next week, it'll be great. You see, but all of this is setting up a pattern that's gonna play out through another person who carried the same name of Joshua which when you translate it through Greek to English becomes Jesus. You see, Israel had a mission to bless the world. And guess what? Israel failed. 
they did not bring the blessing to the nations that they were supposed to, do, supposed to bring. And in essence, God's plan was, if you want something done right, do it yourself. So Jesus became an Israelite. And he stepped into that place and he fought the battle that we couldn't fight ourselves. He took on sin and Satan and death and he made a mockery of them on the cross and walked out three days later as the champion who won the battle. Colossians says that Jesus took on Satan, he stripped him of his weapons and he ashamed him publicly on the cross. And you know what that tells us? Our enemy is not who we think it is. In a season that is as polarized and divided as as many Americans feel right now, it is really easy to label the them that are the crazy other people that we have to defeat. What the gospel says is, hey, Jesus already defeated the enemy. He already crushed him. What he invites us to do is get in the game, be a part of this thing he's doing where he's making all things new and bringing everyone under submission to the only one who has the right to be king. With the kind of confidence that says, I can go in because the battle's already won, but the kind of humility that says, I have to go in following the commander of the army. So that's why he gave us a practice of communion. To be a reminder every time we gather that he's already done the work that matters most. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna, I'm just gonna ask you to hold the elements, we're gonna sing together, and then we're gonna take a moment to remember the sacrifice that was the battle that Jesus fought on our behalf. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you that you don't leave us on our own to rescue ourselves. Our fate is not in our hands, it's in yours. So Lord, give us the kind of faith that doesn't run out ahead to rescue ourselves, but also doesn't hang back in fear, that rather says, Lord, tell me what to do. That will trust you with every area of our lives. Because the enemies that we most desperately need defeated have already been defeated. love you and we praise things in Jesus name. Yes, it's sweet to try.
family, would you stand as we sing these words together tonight? I'm so glad I learned to trust him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me, will be with me too. divine master and friend tonight who we can trust and as Jesus himself says that every time you gather remember this is the body of our king that was broken on our behalf our victorious savior take now and eat cleansing blood of the God-man shed on behalf for our sin so that now we too can share in victory not only in this life but in the life to come and celebration take now and drink Friends, it's been a joy and honor to practice the presence in this room with you tonight. And as we go into the world as the body and bride of Christ, I would encourage you to maybe take a picture or just two things to consider from our time tonight, whether it's in a journal with Jesus, a conversation with a neighbor, your community group, or a friend. Where do you see God working and how can you join him in that? And secondly, how can you take an active step towards trusting God's promise this week? That even as we leave this place, we could have moment by moment opportunities to trust him, to give him control. If you're new, we'd love to meet you before you leave. Please don't leave without saying bye as well as if you need prayer uh, or looking to get connected, please. Uh, our website is going to be the best place to go for those things. Um, if you notice on the sides, there's some caution tape. It's because ice is falling down from the roof as it melts. So we're going to encourage you, would you mind not getting hit by an icicle and exiting uh, out the back as you leave? If you're online, we love you. Hope to see you soon. And uh, y'all are dismissed. Go in grace and peace.